All right, good morning, everybody. If we go too long, we'll make Jerry buy some pizza or something like that here in a little bit. Um, so real quick before I jump into today. So I'm the, the community life pastor here, which means I receive community groups, community group leaders. So it would be bad of me to not point out something. So if you look at your worship guide, that's where everything is. There are two different inserts. I wanted you to look at this one. It's got a gray box that says next steps. Um, so we, what we do on, you know, you hear the, the Word of God preached on Sundays, and then whenever you have a community group, you kind of, you dive back into it. But we don't want the Christian life to just be a Sunday morning, Wednesday night kind of event sort of a thing. It's an everyday endeavor where you're walking with Jesus. And so we don't want you to just hear the Word of God preached on Sunday and say, well, that was really great, or maybe that was really bad that day. And then you hear it again at community group, and then you don't think about it again until the next Sunday, and you hear the next one and go on so on and so forth, Right. We want you to, to continue in your walk. So right now we're calling it Next Steps. That might change. I don't know. Um, but the idea is that you don't just leave and don't think about it again, right? We want you to walk away with it. So there's a couple passages real quick at the top there. Um, just give you the idea behind these, this, this idea of next steps. So Jeremiah 29.13 says, and this is God speaking, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And then if you go to read through the entire chapter of John 15, it's speaking about how Jesus is the true vine, right? And we are to abide in Jesus. And so he prunes, he gets rid of what's not healthy and he helps what, to grow what is healthy. And so we think that if you were to, to, to walk away and spend a little extra time thinking about the sermon and the passage and going a little bit deeper, we think that God will prune you a little bit and he'll help you to abide in him. Um, so I make these. There's a lot of questions today. I know that may seem overwhelming. You're like, I'm not in school. I don't want to deal with all that. That's okay. It won't be this much every time. There's a few questions from the whole series and then a few for this week. And if you're in a community group this week, some of these questions will be a part of what you guys discussed this week. So I just want to make sure you all are aware of that. Um, so don't just stick this in your Bible and forget about it. Take the next steps. Take a step and, and go a little bit deeper. So I just want to point that out to you guys today. All right. Let's see. So um, if you haven't been here, we've been in a series, Gospel 101. So we're going step by step through the gospel. We're going slowly on purpose. Um, and so Jerry's been preaching. And so we started with G and we're speaking about God and the holiness of God, just how he is perfect and good and holy. And he is set apart from us. And this holy, perfect God chooses to make himself known to us and unholy people. And so our correct response is to praise and worship him. And then last week was a little bit heavier. We talked about, oh, the obstacle of sin, or as Jerry said, the oh crud of sin. And just the fact that we are an unholy, imperfect people, right? We all sin. We all fall far short of the glory of God and the mark that he has set up for us. And we need to understand these things, that God is holy and perfect. We need to understand that there is the obstacle of sin in our own lives without Jesus before we can really get to the good news, right? So we had to go deep with, with our sin um, because when you understand the depth of your sin, you understand the greater depth of Christ's love and forgiveness and grace towards you, which is really huge. So today, I get to start bringing a little bit of the good news, which is a fun thing. So we're uh, S at this point in time. Whoops. That went away. It's because they were at the very beginning. I'll fix that. But S is for Jesus, the Savior. Look at all those slides. You guys excited about that? <laughs> so we're in S in this gospel series talking about Savior, talking about Jesus. And you would think that, man, 
you know, if you grew up in church at all and somebody asked you a question in Sunday school, the answer was always Jesus, right? And you were right 95% of the time or maybe 100%. And so you're like, man, it should be easy to talk about Jesus. And I would have thought so too. And then I got into this passage. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is a lot. Um, So by trade, I'm a middle school, high school English teacher. And when I get excited about a topic like this, because I enjoy this more so than teaching about English, I tend to talk a little fast. And so if I'm going too fast, raise your hands, say, hey, Sam, slow down a little bit. It's not going to hurt my feelings, and I'll go a little slower. My wife's not here today to to tell me to go slow, so that's going to be your all's job today, okay? Um, So today we're in John chapter 1 in the the Gospel of John. So that's in your worship guides if you want to use that, if you have a Bible, app, whatever the case might be, John chapter 1, that first section, that first passage. I'm going to have Adam read it in just a minute. Um, but basically, the, a couple things you need to know about John. So it is the fourth gospel, one of the smaller gospels, uh, but it's actually one of the earlier accounts about Jesus and the life of Jesus. John, he had the, the title of the disciple that Jesus loves. So he had a really close relationship with Jesus throughout this. And John actually mentions at the end of this book, in John chapter 20, his entire purpose for writing this book. And so in John 20, verse 31, he says, These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's the entire purpose of John. That's the purpose of of today in this gospel series, is that you may believe who Jesus is, and by belief in him you may have uh, eternal life in his name. Okay, Um, So I'm going to have Adam stand up if he doesn't mind, and he's got an awesome reading voice, and so he's going to read the passage for us today. If you guys don't mind, follow along. Thanks, Adam. So as I mentioned before, as we go through this gospel series, the, the weighty thing that we need to understand is that there is this obstacle of sin, and the fact is that you and I, we are incapable of removing that obstacle between us and God. Um, So just curious, does anybody remember some of Jerry's points from last week? If you took notes, Jerry can't say since he spoke it. But does anybody happen to remember last time I had to flip back real quick and and remind myself? So you had four main points, I believe, from last time. Anybody catch those? Yep, we're all guilty. That's number one. Good. What else? Good. It's there to show us we're all guilty. It's not there to save us. It's there on purpose. That's number two. Number three? Make us think that we can do it on our own. That's three. And number four. Anybody? All right. Very good. Good job, class. Um, So if you weren't here, those four points, like, they are pretty deep, right? And we wanted us to understand and feel the depth of, of that sin and the obstacle in our life. Um, So we're all guilty, and a holy, perfect God, he cannot allow us to enter into his presence. Um, The truth is, the only way that you could spend eternity to God is if you are holy and perfect like him, and the secret is, you can't, right? You can't do that on your own. Um, But of course, there is good news, and that's what we're going to start talking about today. But just to continue to really hone in on the idea of just how perfect and holy God is, real quick, Exodus 33, 20, um, Moses asked to see God's presence, his holiness. And And God said, so, but he, God, said, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. So just the fact that you can't even see God's true presence, his true holiness, and live. 
And we even talked last week about angels. And so you have angels that have wings to cover their face and their feet. Like they're not even looking on God's holiness and perfe- uh, perfection. And so that is this holy, perfect God that, that we are um, proclaiming and learning about. And so that's why our obstacle of sin is so much of an obstacle. We can't get to him because of our sin. But today, we begin to hear the good news of the gospel, and specifically the fact that Jesus came and he was able to remove that obstacle. Um, Actually, next week, Jerry's going to spend more time talking about what Jesus has done. He told me, you can't really do that too much today. You could just talk about Jesus, which is hard, but that's okay. It's good. So really, before we even understand what Jesus has done, we need to understand who Jesus is. And so um, that's one of the most important questions that Jesus asked of his disciples, his followers on earth. He asked in Matthew 16, 13. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said things like, well, um, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. He said, but who do you say that I am? And so this important question that Jesus asked his disciples is true for us. We need to ask ourselves, who truly is Jesus? So I have a question for you guys, for those of you who want to share. Who is Jesus? Specifically, what titles can you think of that the Bible gives Jesus? Yell out a a few examples. What titles does Jesus have? Son of man. Son of of God. Savior. Savior. Emmanuel, God with us. We'll talk about that today. Wonderful. Wonderful. Counselor. Lamb of God. Shepherd. Shepherd. Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Messiah. Messiah. The way, the truth, and the life. We could spend a long time talking about his titles, right? I've got a long list here. I'm not going to read them all, but just the fact that Jesus has all these different titles, right, of who he is, a living stone, eternal life, the great shepherd, lamb of God, light of the world, tree of life, and so on and so forth. This is who Jesus is. And so we need to understand who he is um, as we continue in our series on the gospel. And so I think that's what this passage does for us today. It helps us understand who exactly is Jesus. So from the passage itself, I have three main points, and then I have a couple of application points, okay? So just to give you an idea of where we're headed. Um, So the very first point that I have for you guys, if you want to write it down, is Jesus is both God and creator. So we must understand and believe that he is God and he is creator. So if you look back at the text, look at the first couple verses with me. It says, In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. So while these words may seem really, really simple, there is so much that's packed into them. And it took me a long time this week to really wrap my mind around these things. So I'm going to do it as best I can and as quickly as I can in our time together today. But before we really go verse by verse, you really need to understand who the word is in this passage. It may not jump out at you, bless you, if you're not aware. Because it's talking about the word. And so when we say the word, we tend to think of things like Bible and scripture, which is true. Um, but in this verse, it's also talking about a person. Um, And it begins to use in verse 2, he was in the beginning. Verse 14, the word became flesh. So who is the word in this passage? The word is Jesus Christ himself. 
So when you hear it say the word, you also need to think Jesus, because that's who the word is in this passage. Just want to make sure that makes sense to us. So if you look at verse 1, in the beginning was the word. Does anybody recognize where you've seen this phrase, in the beginning? Genesis, yeah, Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning. And so these are the exact same phrases. If you go and look at them and break them down, they're the exact same phrases. So John is already beginning his gospel with the point that Jesus is God. He was in the beginning, present at the beginning of all things. So he was already there. And he continues on, and the word was with God. So the word Jesus existed with God. This is referencing his personhood and and the Trinity as well. So he was already there. He was already present. He was with God. And it says the word was God. So the word God comes from the word theos. It's a Greek word. And usually when that word theos is used throughout the Bible, in the New Testament specifically, it's talking about God the Father. But there's several different places where it's also talking about God the Son, Jesus. And that includes this passage as well as a few others like John 20, 28, Romans 9, 5, Titus 2, 13, Hebrews 1, 8, and 2 Peter 1, 1. So if you're somebody like my wife that wants to write all that down, come see me after the service. I'll give you those. But the point that John is making right off the bat is that Jesus is God himself. Jesus is divine. He is God the Son. Now, this has huge implications as we read through this passage and over our life as well. Because John, he's not pulling any punches at all, right? He is telling us that Jesus is God. He wasn't created by God. He was already in existence in the beginning of all things. And he still is God as well. This is something that the Gospels continue to point out to us, just the fact that Jesus is God, his deity. And we're going to continue on in verse 3 as well, but we also must believe in addition to the fact that Jesus is God, that Jesus is fully man as well. We'll unpack that more later. But in case you missed it in verse 1, he says it again in verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. And it's like John understands his readers and us as well. We need like a double take, right? We're like, wait, what was that? Who is he? He's what? And he's saying, Jesus is God. In verse 3, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything that was made. So John, he's really driving home this point. That Jesus is God. And Jesus is creator. And all means all. If you think about in the beginning when God created, he spoke things into being, right? So he spoke stars and planets and galaxies and our world and mountains and trees and animals and birds and you and me. All these things were spoken into existence with the word. So all means all. There's not a single thing that was made that was not made without the creator. So Jesus is God. Jesus is creator. So the question is, do you believe that Jesus is God? Continuing on, um, point number two. Sorry, all that's there for you. I should have done it, but that's okay. I even wrote to the side, hey, slide number whatever, and I didn't do it. That's what happens when I'm excited. All right, point number two. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light. So looking at verses four and five, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So in Jesus' life, not only biological life that was created in the beginning, but even spiritual life, this new life that he gives to us if we accept him. So Jesus created every sense of life, and he is the light of men, our spiritual light in our darkness. 
And so without Jesus, the, the scriptures tell us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. So I want to read Ephesians 2 for you guys. Look, I remembered. There it is, Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So a passage like this, just like last week, it really highlights our spiritual darkness. And this is our state, who we are before Jesus. But luckily, Jesus is the light because it goes on to, um, to tell us that without the light of Jesus, this is who we are, right? This is, our, this is who we are. This is our state without Jesus. And so we need the spiritual light because Jesus is the light in order to pierce through this darkness of who we are. There are several other passages all throughout the scriptures that highlight this idea of spiritual light and our darkness. So saving light of Jesus, a few of them in John 8, 21. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the promise that comes from Jesus, the light. Ephesians 5:14. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Rise from your spiritual death in your darkness, and Christ will shine on you. And one more, I think. John 1, 1 or 1 John 1, 5 through 9. This is a message that we've heard from him and we declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So Jesus is the light. And thankfully, the darkness cannot overcome the light of Jesus. Spiritual darkness cannot overcome his light. Satan cannot overcome his light. And just, just think about this idea of light. We're not going to do it because I don't want to take the time to do it, but if we shut the lights off in this room and just imagine this picture of the spiritual darkness that exists in the world, right? And even imagine, go a step further. If you've never been to a cave, you go to the deepest, darkest part of the cave and you turn off all light, it's so dark that you can't even see your hand in front of your own face. And it feels oppressive, right? Pushing in, closing in on you. But if you were to take something as simple as even just one match, and you're to light that match, you're going to see the entire cave. If I took one flashlight in this room, you would see virtually everything in this room to some degree. That's the power of one small light. But think about the spiritual light of Jesus and the power that he has to pierce through the darkness that is in our hearts without him. Nothing can overcome the light of Jesus. Not a single thing. Nothing outside, nothing within us can overcome this light of Jesus. So the question is, do you believe that Jesus is a light? Point number three, Jesus has come. Three really simple points from this passage. But again, it is really, really in-depth. So if you ever want to spend a little bit more time going through this, let me know. I'll grab coffee with you. We'll go a little further. But Jesus is a light. Andrew mentioned it earlier. Uh, but in Matthew 1.23 and other places, we, we see things like, Behold, a virgin, Mary, shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
Now, this is a huge thing that we need to understand that Jesus, the creator of all things, the God of the universe, the spiritual light of the world, he also came into the world. So verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He's the only one true light that can illuminate us to show us the truth. And only Jesus can save. And again in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And I think verse 14 sums up all of John's teaching so far in this chapter, in this passage. And it's really important for us to understand. I want to go a little bit more closely, even just with this verse itself. So the word, Jesus, became flesh, meaning he became a man. And the creator, the God, God the Son, came to the world as a man. So we need to understand he is fully God, right? He is God, the Son, he is creator, but he is also now fully man as well. And that's a complicated thing that's going to take a long time to really unpack if if we had the time for it. But not only that, he dwelt among us. And this idea of of dwelt, if you look it up and and look the way it's translated, it means he, he tabernacles with us. And this is actually a reference to the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, you had the tabernacle, this tent, tent of meeting where, where the, the Ark of the Covenant was. And this represented God's presence on earth um, before the temple was made. And so what's being said here is that Jesus is God tabernacling with us. It is God's presence with us on earth. And that's important to understand that reference. So it represents God's presence on earth. So in this... Um, verse, John is saying again, Jesus is God, and he has come to dwell among his people in the world. And the glory that we have seen in Jesus is the glory of God. It is the presence of God with mankind. And just the fact that Jesus would come into this world to live and to die for a sinful people is so full of grace, because it's a mercy that's undeserved by us, a sinful people. And John is just, he's telling us, he continues talking about the word. So the word is Jesus, the word is truth, right? He's saying the word, the truth has come to mankind. In verse 14, or in John chapter 14, Jesus tells he is the way and the truth and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through him. He communicates in John 8, 31, that the word will make us free. In 8, 31, 32, if you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Jesus, he can set you free from that spiritual darkness, right? From that obstacle of sin that is present in all of us without him. Only Jesus can save, and only Jesus can pierce through that darkness in your life and bring you into his glorious light. So in a second, I'm going to ask this question. I'll explain it, but I'm going to share, share my own response first to give you time to think. So the question I'm going to ask, if anybody wants to share, how have you been impacted in your life by the fact that Jesus, Creator, God, Savior, has come into the world? So think about that for a moment if you, if you have something to share. But to me, the fact that the Creator of the universe would come to live in flesh and blood is really, really amazing for, uh, to me. And the fact that he would die for my sins is amazing to me. So a lot of my life has been spent growing up in the church, growing up in Elizabethan. It's not anyone's fault, but I lived in this idea of religion and morality that Jerry spoke about last week. 
Um, I do believe that I accepted Jesus at a young age. I was 10, and I think I truly understood the gospel at, as much as a 10-year-old can in order to be, um, to be saved by Jesus. But your depth of understanding of what Jesus has done and who he is changes from 10 to 20 to 30 to 60 and so on and so forth, right? It continues to grow into this depth. But it really wasn't until my, my early to mid-20s and starting to spend time at, at Redstone in Johnson City that I began to understand who Jesus is and, and the fact that he came and what that meant. And I began to understand his grace for me in my life. And it changed the way that I lived my life, where before, and I still slip into it now, I have this tendency to, to work for God's love and forgiveness. I do a whole lot of stuff in my life. I try to do a whole lot of good things. Jerry's laughing at me. I have four jobs right now, but I try to do a lot of good things. Um, but it's really easy for me to do it so that God will love me and, and forgive me and accept me, right? But if you were to ask anybody, ask my wife, I'm a pretty good sinner, right? Every single day, I'm a pretty good sinner. Um, and it takes a lot to rest in Christ's finished work. But the fact that he came is huge. And, I, and it made me think of Hebrews um, chapter 4. There's a passage that says, Since then we have a great high priest, who has passed through the heavens, come from the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in a time of need. So the fact that Jesus' creator, God, and Savior has come into this world in flesh and blood is huge because what that means on a personal level to me is that he understands my weakness. He understands that I'm, I'm nothing more than a man and that I'm going to sin. He understands when I'm tempted and what that's like, and he's not just some holy God that's way out here that, that can't touch that, but he has come to earth as God and as man, experienced those same things, and so he can sympathize with me. And then in turn, because of what he has done that we'll learn about next week, I can confidently approach God and speak to him and pray to him because of what Jesus has done. And so this is, this is what it means to me. This is how I've been impacted by the fact that Jesus came into the world. So does anybody have anything that you want to share where you just think about the fact, and I know it's taken you all longer because I've had the last couple of weeks to prepare, but can you think of a way that you feel impacted by the fact that the creator of the universe actually came as a man and lived here on earth. Good. Yeah, it is a really hard thing to grasp, which is why you shouldn't just walk away and not think about it. You need to spend time this week really going into this. We need to understand who Jesus is, that he is fully God, creator, holy, perfect. He's the only spiritual light that can pierce through that obstacle of sin but we also need to understand that, that he actually came, right? And we need to understand he is fully God and fully man. And you know, the, having a good understanding of who Jesus is is incredibly important um, because there's, there's just different ways in which you can, can get that wrong, right? Jesus has to be fully God and it has to be fully man. Oh, there it goes. Um, and there's, there's different viewpoints that are around the first hundred years of the church and they're really still around today. Um, the fact is... Jesus must be fully God and fully man. If he's less than God, then he cannot reconcile us to God because only God can reconcile us to himself. If he is not fully human, then he's not truly one of us and he cannot be our mediator, our go-between, between us 
and a holy, perfect God. If he is not God and man at the same time, then it's only the human person that offers himself as a sacrifice. And he cannot make atonement for the sins of all of mankind. And if he is not fully God and fully man, then he cannot be our substitute on the cross. And so this is a really complicated subject. I've got a great article if you want to go further with this. It comes from something called the Council of Chalcedon in like the 400s where they had to sit down and figure all this out. It's an in-depth article. And if Larry will remind me, we can attach it to the, to the weekly email. So if you want to go a little bit further, if you're a geeky kind of a person like me, then you're welcome to do that. Um, but just know it's incredibly important to understand that Jesus is God and he is man. We must believe this truth. Because there, there's a danger, the truth, Jesus himself is the word and the truth, he can be rejected. The truth can be rejected, it could be disbelieved. So the question that you have to ask yourself, that Jesus asked his disciples, that he asked us, is who do you say that I am? Who do you believe that I am? There it goes. So how do we respond in a passage like this? Well, really, there's just two potential ways that we can respond. We can reject Jesus as creator and as God and as Savior. And this is exactly what happens in this passage. If you look at verse 9, look back with me. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Now, isn't that amazing? The creator of the world that spoke everything into being, the God of the universe, embodied in the person of Jesus Christ, came into the world that he created. He walked on that world, and the people of the world did not know him. And specifically, he came to his own people, his own country, because he is um, an heir of David. So he is heir to the throne, right? And his own people did not receive him. Even the, the religious leaders of the day who knew all of God's word, all the Old Testament, and who were looking for the Messiah, did not believe him. Now, obviously, there were those that were truly Christ followers in that moment, but there were still those that, that disbelieved him, that rejected him as God, and rejected him as creator, rejected him as savior. And there are many in this world who will hear the truth of the gospel and yet still choose to reject Jesus as their creator, their God, and their savior. So you can reject him or you can accept him as creator, God, and savior. So look at verse 12 and 13 with me. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. So again, I don't want to step on Jerry's toes for next week as he preaches on what Jesus has done. But this verse offers us the hope of the gospel and the hope that comes with a Savior into this world. He says, but to all, meaning every unholy and sinful person who receives him and believes in his name, so those that believe that Jesus is fully God, fully man, the Son of God, who came into the earth to live and to die as a sacrifice for our sins. To all who believe, Jesus gives the right, the authority, to become children of God in name and in nature as we're given a new spirit. 
We are spiritually reborn and given the royal, holy, spiritual gift of becoming sons and daughters of God. And this gift is mentioned elsewhere, like in 1 Peter chapter 2, if it'll work, 9 and 10. Speaking of those who do believe, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness, spiritual darkness, and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So this is what it means to become a child of God. We are brought out of the kingdom of darkness and into his kingdom of light. We are brought from sin and death and that obstacle, that separation from God, and we are brought into him. We are adopted as sons and daughters of the king. And then we are given the purpose of proclaiming his name to the world. So the question that's on the table today for all of you is, do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? There are only two options. Either you accept him or you reject him. It's black and white. Do you believe who Jesus is, who he says he is? So what do we do now? My last few points, we're almost there. What do we do with a passage like this? Well, specifically, there are a couple of immediate ways to respond, and there's a long-term way. So the first immediate way is if you don't know Jesus, if you have spent your life rejecting him as who he is or who he says he is, then don't wait any longer. So either you accept him or you reject him. And if you know in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is creator and God and savior, then you have in this moment the opportunity to accept him as that. And so here in a few minutes, when we step into a time of reflection and communion, you're going to have the opportunity to, to, to do that if you'd like. So don't wait another moment, but go and pray and accept him for who he is. And secondly, we should all respond to God's word. So we uh, have the re revelation of God's word where God reveals himself to us and reveals himself to us through Jesus. And we all have the opportunity to respond. So here in a minute, you're going to meditate. You're just going to think. Think about Jesus as your creator, as your God, and as your Savior, if you've accepted him. Spend time praising him in your heart for who he is. And then in a moment, we'll take communion, reflecting on what Christ has done. And then we'll step into a time of continuing to worship him for who he is. So those are the two immediate ways to respond. And the third long-term way is to be a witness. See, if we're a true Christ follower, we are to be his witness in this world. So look back one more time at the passage. Look at verse 6. It says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So here we have in this passage on Jesus as creator, as God, as Savior, and then we have these few verses about John the Baptist that really seem to come out of nowhere, right? It's really interrupting the flow of, of what we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus, and it might seem a little confusing, but I think it's there for a reason. See, the purpose is to show us that John the Baptist was a witness, a window of Jesus the light. And what's being shown to us is that God, for whatever reason, oftentimes chooses to use his people, his Christ followers, as witnesses and as windows of who Jesus is. 
And so John comes to prepare the way for Jesus um, so that all might believe in him. He's pointing to the light that is coming. And so just as John was given that express purpose, you and I, we have a purpose. If we're a Christ follower, and our purpose is to be a witness of Jesus, to proclaim that he is fully God and fully man, that he is the Messiah, that he has come and died for us in our place and risen again, and to proclaim his excellencies to the world. A witness is very important. I mean, if you think about um, if something happens, like in a court of law, you need a witness to verify things, right? You don't really trust people for their word anymore. You need a witness to come and do that. Well, that's kind of what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to, to verify, to, to use our words, to proclaim the name of Jesus, and to speak of who he is, and to bring validation to this account. So John the Baptist, he was bringing validation to Christ's claim as divinity, and we do the same thing in our world as well, because we're as witnesses. We're a royal priesthood, as we saw, and we're to proclaim those excellencies to the world. So if you're a Christ follower, you know, you don't just sit on this, this passage, don't think about it, you're going to walk away, you're going to spend time thinking about it, but then you're going to be his witness to the world. Yes, Sunshine? Definitely. And a witness gives a testimony, right? And so that's what we do. We, our lives are a testimony. Our words are a testimony. We say, look, this is who I was, right? I was in a spiritual darkness. I was full of sin and doing all these wrong things. I was so far from Jesus. And then he came and he died for me and he saved me. And I'm still not perfect now, but you can, you can tell the difference between me then and now, right? We give a testimony. We're a witness as to who Jesus is and what he has done, which we're going to talk a lot about next week.